Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, September 22nd, we're studying Proverbs chapter 15, verse 20, through chapter 16, verse 7. Only in the fear of the Lord can human works and ways be established. Apart from him, all of our purposes and plans must fail. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jeff Hemmer. Pastor Hemmer serves at Bethany Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois. Pastor Hemmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Good to be with you again. As we get started this morning, Pastor Hemmer, just give us some introductory comments here in the book of Proverbs. We've been seeing all kinds of wisdom from Solomon, especially as chapters 10 and following have progressed these short one-two liners. What do we need to know about Proverbs, about wisdom? as we go into today's text. Yeah, so all, all of Proverbs um, is essentially commentary on what, what wisdom is, um, and, and you'll recall that a common refrain uh, throughout Proverbs has been the, the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. So really when we, when we say wisdom, what we mean is sanctified living or... Um, common sense Christian life is, is kind of how, uh, how the modern hearer ought, ought read the book of Proverbs. It's a collection of sayings, uh, as you know, here we're uh, in the section from Solomon giving advice to a son, um, exhorting him to, to be wise. And so uh, what we have here at the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16 um, is, is just that. It's a collection of those kinds of sayings that demonstrate what faith looks like as it's being lived out. So sometimes there may not be, you know, much logical connection from from one proverb to the next, but what ties all of them together um, is that this is this is the work of the Holy Spirit as he gives to us fear of the Lord, um, which is a, a phrase in Proverbs for faith, as he gives us that kind of filial trust in the Lord for forgiveness. Here is how our lives are conducted according to the wisdom that he both imparts to us and trains us up in throughout the, the duration of our lives as, as God's children. So we'll get... We'll just jump right in this morning into Proverbs chapter 15, beginning at verse 20. I'm going to read about half the text for this side of the program, and then we'll pick up the other half on the second half of the program. So Proverbs 15, beginning at verse 20. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. 
The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. I'll pause there. That was through verse 29. So Proverbs 15, 20 through 29 for this half of the program. Pastor Hammer, we get at the beginning of this text a familiar refrain from the book of Proverbs, not only since chapter 10, but also in chapters 1 through 9, the relationship between a son and his father. Here, the, the whole fourth commandment comes into view, honoring your father and your mother. Take us into verse 20 to get us started. Yeah, so here, uh, and this, this fits in the context of, of Solomon, uh, presumably addressing these Proverbs to a son, and a son who will succeed him on the throne. Um, now, we know the history of that kind of goes off the rails uh, as the kingdom is divided after Solomon, and uh, his heirs end up fighting with others uh, for the throne of Israel. Um, and so you kind of see the inverse of that play out in, or the inverse of this proverb play out among Solomon's descendants. But simply this, a wise son gladdens his father, and then the the second line of, of the couplet, of the parable, or the, the proverb, uh, that a foolish man, his, his foolishness is a kind of despising towards his mother. So you mentioned the fourth commandment, and the fourth commandment, as St. As Paul rightly points out, is, is the one with a promise attached to it. Now, I don't, it's the only one with an explicit promise attached to it, but what what all of these proverbs bear out for us is is the the benefit to us in keeping God's law, in ordering our lives according to the wisdom that He has designed us to to, to use. And His law then is is kind of like um, a, a blueprint or an owner's manual for how our lives and bodies and our relationships with other people and with creation, how all of those things are intended to function. So here, the fourth commandment says, honor your father and your mother, and the catechism says, what does this mean? We should fear and love God um, so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. And that despising of them plays out in, in a variety of ways. Here it plays out, according to the proverb, by a man who is, who is foolish. And we know wisdom against foolishness has been a, a theme throughout the book of Proverbs as well. What does, what does the wise man do? What does the foolish man do? Um, the foolish man pursues after a whole host of vices. He's easily distracted. Um, he's easily drawn off course, um, and his foolishness, his inclining to the desires of the flesh, is actually a, the means by which he despises his mother and refuses to to give his father the gladness that he would have were he were he a wise son, were he a son living in that wisdom that comes from living according to the fear of the Lord. 
but all all the commandments really we could say this all the commandments have a, a promise attached to them as well um, the fifth commandment for instance if we're just moving down the line um, the benefit to us if we keep the fifth commandment if we use our lives and our bodies to guard the lives and the bodily good of our neighbors well you can understand what the benefit to that is our neighbor's life goes better it's safer he is he is guarded and protected and that relationship between neighbors flourishes the same the same is true in the sixth commandment right it's not that God just wants to ruin our good time when he gives us his law and and we could enjoy the the pleasures of the flesh and the pursuit of, of a variety of relationships outside of marriage but God knows what we are created for is that lifelong monogamous union between a husband and a wife and when we obey that law the profit that we receive is is in the in the beauty and the fulfillment of that relationship oftentimes the fruit of children raising up the the next generation um, its husbands and wives finding fulfillment and contentment and satisfaction with one another so all the commandments have a, have a similar kind of promise implicit within them but it's the fourth commandment where we get this explicit promise honor your father and mother that your life may be long in the earth and so obeying those placed in authority over us leads to this this temporal tangible benefit that life goes better for us when we obey those in positions of authority over us. We've seen that theme throughout the book of Proverbs, the benefit to listening to the law of God, to living according to that law. And I think it, it strikes us maybe particularly as Lutherans, because you know, as, as you said, this is the commandment that has a promise attached to it. And generally speaking, well, I, I was just recently teaching in, in youth confirmation class, law and gospel. And and we define law and gospel, at least the way that I define it for my confirmands, is the law, that's the commands of God. The gospel is the promises of God. And so to, to think of the promise attached to the law is maybe a way that we're not used to thinking, but it's there. It, the thing is, it's a conditional promise. You You only get that good thing from the law if you do it. But we shouldn't be afraid of saying that. And sometimes I, I wonder if we are. I think I am sometimes. But we shouldn't be afraid of it. It is good to keep the law. And, and as you said, that that really is implicit throughout the commandments. It's not just the fourth where there's that very explicit promise attached. But throughout it, it, it's there that if you do these things, generally speaking, life is going to go better for you. And that's that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's no there's no guarantee um, sometimes the, the person doing the best job of keeping the fourth commandment will, will encounter tragedy that just seems to, to defy the promise that life will go well for you and your, your days will be long upon the earth. Um, but generally speaking, as a rule, life goes better for those who order their lives according to the will and word of God, according to his commandments. 
And and I think that that's an important thing to see. And maybe there's a connection that we can make into verse 21 that follows. The first part of verse 21 says, folly is a joy to him who lacks sense. When we don't know any better, or maybe when we're just following after what we think is right, to us, folly seems like joy. There seems to be a benefit to folly. Whereas the Lord instead would be the one to direct our paths in his straight way. I think maybe that's how we can connect that second half of the verse. The man who has understanding walks straight ahead and and understand that true joy is found in that path rather than in the foolishness that we think is right. Exactly. The the fool doesn't even know the, the consequences of his own foolishness. He doesn't even know the good things in life that he's missing out by by letting his life be ordered, his own pleasures, his own desires, his own um, the the lusts of the flesh that are contrary to the the desires and the fruits of the spirit. He doesn't know what he's what he's missing out on, um, but the but the man of understanding, his his path is straightened out. He walks straight ahead. Um, you get the sense that there's a kind of um, purpose to to his life's journey but the the man of folly who lacks sense um has doesn't have that kind of purpose doesn't have that kind of direction being driven by whatever whatever his flesh inclines to in the moment as the the text continues then verse 22 without counsel plans fail but with many advisors they succeed now I, again, I think we can connect this. So without counsel, plans fail. If, if I'm going to be that man of folly and I'm going to think that whatever I do is going to be joyful, that that's no good. I need counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. That, I mean, you can see how that follows. We've seen verses like this before in the book of Proverbs from Solomon. One of the things, and I, this is just me reflecting on it, Pastor Hammer, with many advisors, they succeed. But that's true if you've got good advisors, if you've got bad advisors, that maybe not. And just you know, you brought up you brought up Solomon and his sons, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. One of the reasons that he fails, maybe, is he heeds this verse in the wrong way. He holds on to the advisors who are young like him and tell him to go the wrong way. He should have listened to his the older advisors who encouraged him in the way of wisdom. I don't know. Those are just some of my thoughts on the verse. Yeah. Well, I think that's. Exactly. I mean, it bears the truth of, of this little proverb out. It's not, it's not simply a matter of, of having advisors like Rehoboam's yes-men um, who give him some of the worst advice possible, um, but it is, it, it is a matter of having advisors who are informed by the fear of the Lord and the wisdom of his word. And so that's, that's the advice that they give. The counsel that they give is, is from the Lord. It is, it is to straighten out the path of the one who walks according to wisdom. I want to I jump down to verse 24. The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. One of the things that we often see in the Proverbs, in any sort of Hebrew poetry, is the use of imagery. And here the image is you've got a path that leads upward, versus a path that would lead downward to Sheol. And and the other thing that stands out about this verse is that there seems to be a connection between this life, wisdom in this life, and then thinking about the life of the world to come. Take us into verse 24. 
Yeah, so you, you get this, this beautiful contrast between the, the upward trajectory of the one living according to the, the fear of the Lord and the, the downward trajectory that is down into Sheol, death, the pit, hell. There's, there's a variety of, of senses to that word. Um, but upward and downward, up to the dwelling of God, and down to the abyss, the, the dwelling of, of the dead or the damned here um, is, is the foil to that upward path of the one um, who is living his life according to the wisdom God imparts and hoping for, waiting for uh, the day of the Lord's return and the resurrection of all the dead. Like we say in the Catechism, on the last day he will, the Spirit will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. And this is, this is the final outcome of a life that is ordered according to the fear of the Lord, that he's moving in that direction. He's always growing closer to that day, both uh, chronologically speaking, but also in terms of his own desires, in terms of the the things that he longs for and looks forward to, he's being shaped by that future reality of his eventual dwelling with the Lord. The fear of the Lord, that filial trust in the Lord, um, comes, to, comes to the goal of being in the, in the presence of the Lord. So that, that fear of the Lord, that faith, drives one to desire that presence of the Lord that that is already ours now but will be ours then even more fully in the resurrection uh, I think there's there's two ways that you could miss this verse and and one would be a very moralistic self-righteous self-justification type reading that as as I enact this practical wisdom, this sanctified living, that that's going to lead me on the path of righteousness, somehow making it about my own life. That's what's leading me upward. And that's where we need to hold on to, as you've brought us to several times, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, this matter of faith. On the other hand, I think you could fall off on the other side and and not, well, sort of make it all faith, spiritualize it completely such that my day-to-day living has no effect. And I think the, the way that, that you put it, that, that our lives in totality, body and soul together, all of our lives are shaped by this future reality of the resurrection. So I know I'm not earning my way upward, but at the same time, I'm not going to disconnect my life in this world, the way that I treat my neighbor, my honoring of my parents, to go back to that first verse, I'm not going to disconnect that from that future reality to which the Lord is bringing me in the resurrection. Right, right. That's that's an excellent point. Then let's uh, let's see. Where that was verse 24. Let's continue. Then verse 20. We'll just keep going through this. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. I mean, you've got. That theme of, of pride we've seen before, the the pride, the the proud are the ones that maybe think they've got it all together. The Lord says, no, it's not about you and your pride and your ability. I'm maintaining the widow, the one who seems weak and helpless. This is who the Lord comes and helps. 
Right. The the proud man, the self-made man, the man confident in in himself, um, is really the opposite of the widow, who has who has lost her husband. She's lost the one to provide for her, and she's the most uh, susceptible to here. The example is someone moving the the boundary stones of of her property that she could she could have her property taken away from her simply by the the deceit of someone else or the or the trickery of someone else um so the proud man who who keeps his own affairs in order who uh whose whose house succeeds because of his own success is brought to nothing when when the lord topples his house tears down the house of the proud but but has attention and concern for the widow who seems most susceptible to being taken advantage of it is it is the lord who takes her side and care of orphans and widows those who are fatherless is always uh, at at the heart of of what the lord loves to do um patriarchy is is the order of his creation that he's pressed into his creation and it's the way the way his creation functions best but here when you have someone who is essentially fatherless or husbandless the widow or the orphan um, they are the the most at risk they are the ones for whom uh, the world is not functioning in the way that it should and so who takes the widow's case who defends her who makes sure that not even the the stones of her property are moved so that she would lose any any of what what belongs to her well it is the lord himself i'm going to bump us down a little bit farther to verse 28 and 29 the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things the lord is far from the wicked but he hears the prayer of the righteous uh, just on the on the surface, uh, verse twenty eight, that the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Wisdom, righteousness, doesn't just let words start coming out without thinking, whereas wickedness simply overflows and talks and talks and talks, and what comes out is evil. As as I was reflecting on that verse with twenty nine together, that the Lord is far from the wicked, but then He hears the prayer of the righteous. My mind was also drawn to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you know, don't don't think that you're going to be heard just because you have lots of words to say, because you babble on like the Gentiles do. Rather, pray in faith. And, and, and in that faith, in your words, what comes out, that's shaped by what the Lord has said to you first. Thoughts on, on 28 and 29, Pastor Hammer? Right, right. And Jesus says, Pray in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the the prayer that the only audience for it is the Father, and it is the prayer of the one who is made a son of God, able to call God Father, is the prayer that he hears, the prayer that he answers. So that, I mean, that connects us back to uh, to the Lord being the father to the widowless and the orphans, and he's a father to us. And, and Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, in, in, in trusting his own prayer to us, gives us his standing before, before God and says, when you pray, say, Father. So we, we ought address these petitions to the Lord 
um, that, that Jesus gives us to pray later in, in Matthew 6, knowing that these petitions are pleasing to our Father in heaven and are heard by him, for he himself has commanded us to pray in this way and has promised to hear us. So what does, especially in, in 29, it is, it is only the wise one, only the one who has that fear of the Lord, that uh, faith, in the Father himself, whose prayers are heard. He hears the prayer of the one whom he has made righteous, who receives his gift of righteousness, who's made right before the Father, and therefore is able to call upon the Father by means of prayer. But, but the wicked, the one who's not put into that filial, childlike relationship toward the Father, he can pray all day long, but his words are not heard. Certainly God, being all-knowing, hears and knows everything, thoughts spoken, thoughts simply uh, left inside one's head, the kinds of groans that the Spirit interprets um, with groanings too deep for words, as St. Paul says. But, but he's not listening like a father to the prayers of those who don't belong to him. And then 28 kind of gives gives. The, so not only in prayers, but also in other words as well. The one who, who lives according to the wisdom that the Spirit gives is, is slow to answer, um, slow to speak. And the mouth of the wicked is quick to speak, and, and what comes from his mouth proceeds from the heart as the, as the heart just pours forth evil. You are listening to Sharp Iron here on KFUO, taking the end of Proverbs 15, beginning of Chapter 16. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, September 22nd. We're studying Proverbs chapter 15, verse 20, through chapter 16, verse 7. We've got Pastor Jeff Hemmer with us. He serves at Bethany Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois. Just a reminder, as we've been going through this part of the book of Proverbs, that we don't hit every single verse on the hour-long show. So if we skip over something that you want to hear, whether it's in this show or a previous show, or there's something you want to make sure we get to, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or call the listener comment line at 314-996-1542 and let us know. We'll be putting together some short five-minute or so 
podcasts that'll come out on kfo.org or wherever you get your podcasts that you can listen to to make sure you catch those proverbs that you want to know more about. Pastor Hammer, before we move on to the rest of the text, I know you had a little bit to talk about on verse 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Yeah, I just think it, it bears mentioning that the one who's greedy for unjust gain, not only does his unjust gain adversely affect himself, but it troubles his whole household. The effects of his sin ripple onward into successive generations. But the one who hates bribes, or we can understand any kind of unjust gain, will live and prosper and not pass on that, the effects of, of sin to a subsequent generation. It bears mentioning because it, it simply confirms what we were talking about earlier, and that is the the blessing inherent in living according to the law. And here, here's both the blessing, a man's life goes well, and also the warning that a life spent pursuing unjust gain. Here, here you've got the seventh commandment. Um, not only should we not steal, but we also exist to help our neighbor improve his possessions and income. And so if, that, if we don't live according to that commandment, um, if, we're, if we're glad for unjust gain, then that, that harms the rest of a man's household as well. Mm. Yeah. So I, there's, there's the inverse to the, to the blessing, is that even, even the man's household feels the, the effects of his sin. I mean, this, this is the stuff that makes it into newspapers, right? Yeah. Um, when, when the rich and powerful um, are exposed as, as having been uh, pursuing... Uh, gain illegitimately or by by bending the the rules that the the rest of us could not get away with it affects not just that person but then it affects the whole the whole household right and i think you even you said as well i'm mean, not just not even just this generation sometimes but has after effects for you know not only the household who's alive with him at the time but for his family through the generations which is Certainly something that's there in the catechism as well in, the, in what we call the close of the commandments where the, the Lord talks about how, how these things, the way that we keep or don't keep his law have effects to the generations that follow us as well. So listening to the wisdom and, and putting it into practice is not only about how it benefits me personally, but this actually has an effect on the rest of my household now and in years to come. With that, let's take a look at the rest of the text for us today, picking up again at Proverbs 15, verse 30, and going down to chapter 16, verse 7. Solomon writes, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. 
Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's the end of our text for today. That was Proverbs 15, 30 through 16, 7. So let's just pick up the conversation at verse 30, Pastor Hammer. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. We'll start there. Yeah, so so here we have uh, an affirmation that what really drives the the life according to this wisdom that God gives is the good news that that refreshes the bones and and this sort of evokes the uh, the psalm that says when I kept silent um, I wasted away um, aching all the way to the core of one's being aching in, in bones um, because of unconfessed sin because of a lack of reconciliation with God the Father I, but then I confess my sins, I acknowledge my iniquity, um, and and the Lord refreshes us with his gift of forgiveness. Well, here, good news is is refreshment all the way to the, the core of a person, all the way into the bones of a person. The good news of, of forgiveness that, that God gives, his gift of righteousness that he gives to us uh, without any merit or worthiness on our part, is, is good news that refreshes us all the way to the core of our being. Hmm. And, and that's, why, that's why a person will seek to order his life according to the, the will and the wisdom of God, why, why he'll want to abide by the wisdom of these Proverbs, because that good news has, has permeated all the way to the core of his being, has has put him back into a right relationship with, with God the Father, and, and therefore he sees the wisdom inherent in living according to the will and the word of God. It's, it strikes me, as the text continues, particularly, I'll just go to verse 32, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. It would, you might think that to hear a teacher and ignore it would be to show despising toward the teacher. But Solomon says, no, you're actually, you're actually only despising yourself. Right. And conversely, the one who listens to reproof, who listens to that discipline that comes from the Lord, he disciplines those whom he loves, he gains this kind of heavenly intelligence um, that is life ordered according to uh, this fear, love, and trust in the Lord alone. That the teacher does not suffer nearly as much when, when the disciple is rebellious or does not, does not heed the discipline of the teacher um, as much as that, that disciple suffers. Hmm. He misses out on, on the goodness of that instruction. The teacher's status as a teacher isn't affected um, when, when the instruction is, is rejected, um, but the potential growth of that student, of that disciple, is lost, missed out on. The student doesn't become who he is intended to be when that instruction is ignored. 
and it's not it's only despising himself it's it's very similar to to the uh the person with folly who who goes aimlessly throughout life pursuing all of his pleasures like we mentioned back in verse 21 um but the one who lives according to wisdom who receives discipline and instruction in the word of god who orders his life according to uh the wisdom of god gains intelligence is on a, a purposeful path and and is moving heavenward uh, this is an important point i think because it is it is easy for us to hear teaching and think of it as trying to take away our fun as trying to impose some someone else's will upon us to take away my freedom maybe that might be a way that americans might think of it particularly we we may view instruction in that light whether that instruction is coming from the lips of god himself or in the pages of holy scripture whether that instruction is coming for a from a father or a mother from a pastor we think that that it's intended somehow for our harm and yet when we when we fail to listen to it we end up only hurting ourselves we don't end up hurting the teacher although i i do think that the teacher grieves over the fact that the the wisdom was not heeded because the teacher was giving the wisdom for the benefit of the student and so it there is a grieving but by not listening by not following we end up hurting ourselves and and it is true wisdom that recognizes re- rebuke reproof correction instruction for the goodness that they truly are rather than seeing some sort of evil intent within them right all all of god's instruction is for our good even even when his law feels burdensome mm. it it is always good even when we can't see the good mm. and that's why that's why it all begins this maybe segues us into the the next verse that it all begins with the the fear of the lord mm. um it all begins with that that trust that god who has created us who redeems us in jesus who gives us his spirit so that we desire the things that the spirit desires really is invested in our good more than we can understand more than we can know his word is always invariably good for us even even when his law tells us not to do things that we feel like would be fun or pleasurable or profitable or or whatever abiding by his law is always better for us than abiding by our own will. Yeah, the the fear of the Lord shows up explicitly there in verse 33 and through the rest of our text I I think really sets a tone as as you said at the outset of this show Pastor Hammer there's not always a a rhyme or reason why one verse follows the next. There are connections, of course, but it's it's not always easy to tell. Uh, starting in 1533 and continuing through 167, the Lord does show up very explicitly in these verses where whereas sometimes that's merely in the background, here Solomon makes those that connection explicit. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor how does the second half of that verse relate to the first well um what is what is humility and and what is honor um the humility that that god desires of us 
is is the humility of submission to his will, the humility of of repentance, the the humility of dependence upon him for all the good that we need, both temporally but also eternally. And so that that humility then precedes honor in the way that repentance precedes forgiveness, um, in the way that contrition precedes justification. Humility that that is correct before God, being being humbled by His Word, uh, being humbled by His work in us, then leads to the honor of sins forgiven, the honor of of a standing before God Himself as as sons, and that's all that is is the fear of the Lord that that desires that wisdom that wants to live life according to that wisdom he imparts. Hmm. As Solomon continues into verse, excuse me, chapter 16, he, he makes this contrast, and I think there's, there's a theme that, that comes out. The plans of the heart, the plans of man, or the ways of man, versus the plans, the purposes of the Lord. That contrast seems to be present I think verses one through four, particularly, what are some of the contrasts that Solomon is is drawing out here in the wisdom that he's imparting? Well, it's it's the difference between um, my own will for my life and God's will for my life, and I think I think you're right to to draw that out as as the theme of these seven verses. My plans versus the Lord's plans, my will for my life versus His will, um, and and which one which one is is truly best for me, which one has the most desirable outcome? I might think, in in my own arrogance and foolishness, that no one knows what's good for me better than than I do. Well, what what do those plans, what do those desires of my own lead to? Um, they lead to that kind of purposeless wandering that you have uh, here in 16 verse 3 the the clear antidote to commit your plans commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established Um, or like Jesus uh, back in the Sermon on the Mount again catechizing against worry Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. That is, you are not fatherless. You have a father. Your father is God himself, the heavenly father. And if you, if you seek the things first that are most necessary, his, his gift of forgiveness, his gifts of righteousness, um, standing before him as his beloved son, then he will take care of all the other things that you need. If your, if, if his will um, is what orders our lives, then then our plans become established. Um, it's it's the same as as in verse two. A man's own uh, ways are pure in his own eyes. Nothing could be more pure than than what he thinks he, he needs or wants, um, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. 
um, the, the things of the Lord um, are, are the durable things. And the end result of, of the man who lives according to his own flesh, who lives according to that folly, that lack of wisdom, that lack of fear of the Lord, is that he ends up down in Sheol. He ends up eternally apart from God. But the one um, who seeks first the Lord and his ways, he is he himself is eternally established. He does, he does good, wise works even now that continue on into eternity. Pastor Hammer, how does this, how does this play out in very day-to-day application? So I, I, I want to commit my work to the Lord, and I, I want to follow His will. I want to be about His plan and His purpose. So say I'm trying to do that with a career. What what career should I pursue? Or where should I move in the country to pursue that career? Or raising my family? And these very down-to-earth, concrete things, how do I how do I go about doing this, seeking to to mold it after the plan, the purpose, the will of the Lord? Well, uh, so that's that's what we all want and what we all need, right? How does the how does this play out practically in our lives? Um, and I don't know. Hypothetically speaking, a pastor is considering a second call. Another congregation has extended a call to him. How does he discern the will of God? Um, and this is not even a little bit hypothetical, as I am now considering uh, two calls: one from another congregation, one from the congregation I presently serve. When this episode actually airs, um, presumably I will have announced my decision. Um, but how, how, do you, how do you discern what is God's will? Well, in part, he makes, he makes some part of his will explicitly clear. So when God called me to be a pastor, called me by means of a congregation into the office of the Holy Ministry, um, he he gave me a call that I could not turn down without, except by sin. Um, and, and now he has, through two congregations, called me to two different places, not because his will is divided, but because sometimes he gives to us human, human freedom to make decisions that, um, well, where, where we draw in um, wisdom from all of our other vocations, right? So I, I also have to consider things that are good for my wife, my children. I'm also called by God to be a husband. I'm also called by God to be a father. So I think the way that we, we think about how to discern God's will for our lives, what that looks like in the day-by-day, whatever kinds of questions we're asking, um, we answer those in, in terms of vocation, because that is, that's God's will. He has, he's called us into these various offices, spouses, husbands, wives, parents, fathers, mothers. He's called us children. Um, he calls all of us to be hearers of his word. Um, he calls some men to be preachers of his word because he wants all his people to be hearers, and in order for them to hear, he has to send preachers. So all those things, those are God's will. 
so if I if I wake up one morning um, and and I I don't know I tell my wife God has given me a, a dream revealed it to me in a dream that we should sell everything we have go to Las Vegas and wager everything uh, on the blackjack table and God has promised that that this will succeed this is obviously his will he's given it to me in a dream my wife would be well to call me to repent and to say that's not you know what God has called you to do that is be a husband to me that is be a father to our children that is to protect us and to provide for us and so in those callings God God wouldn't call me to do something against those callings that he's already given. Does that does that make sense? V- very much so. I got a little a little confused at the end there. No, no, <laughs> uh, very very much so. And I think the the point that you brought out that bears repeating is that when we when we want to know what God's will is, we look to his word. We don't look say to a dream that we might have had. We don't look to a feeling in our gut to call that the will of God. So is it is it right for you to take your possessions and gamble them away because you had a dream from God? Well, no, that's not from God. And you know it's not from God because he's told you the opposite in his word, as, as, you, as you brought out in the example that you used. So when it comes to a, a pastor considering a call, what is God's will in that situation? Well, as you said, you, you consider those things that God has given you in his word. He's given you to be a father. He's given you to be a husband. He's given you to be a pastor. And and you consider those according to his word. And then where his word is silent, there is that that freedom. So you, you have the freedom to serve the current congregation or to serve the, the calling congregation. And, and within that, that you are within what God has given you in that vocation. And again, the, the point is, it's found in his word. We're not looking for this will of God in some other sort of mystical place, whether that comes from within my own, well, that's usually where it comes from, is somewhere within my own thoughts or my dreams. No, God's going to give you what it is that he wants in his word. And, and I mean, yeah, we oh, we could probably spend the rest of the time on that. We've only got like three minutes left. <laughs> so, so, but no, I, I think you, I think you made the, the point very well. Uh, Pastor Emmer, with with about three minutes left, we, we've got a couple verses that we haven't talked about. Uh, it's I think it's always helpful anytime we look at a section of scripture, and particularly a section like Proverbs, where maybe it's a little more difficult to see Christ and His saving work in the text. We know that the whole of scripture is about Christ and His saving work. Where do we see Him here? I mean, you've got three minutes. You you take what you want. Well, I think there's there's two answers to that. Um, one way to answer is that Jesus is the eternal Word of God who became man. Jesus is wisdom incarnate. He's what the wisdom of God looks like when it when it becomes a human being, when it when it takes on human flesh. Um, so. The word become flesh is is the wisdom of God, and there is a sense in which um, a lot of the way Jesus teaches and catechizes is is similar to the way that Solomon is catechizing his son 
here. And so we've, we've gone several times uh, just into the Sermon on the Mount to see strong corollaries between the wisdom that Solomon praises in Proverbs and the wisdom that uh, issues from the mouth of, uh, that flows from the mouth of, of Jesus. So there's, there's one answer. Jesus is wisdom. But also, we've been talking about the fear of the Lord, which is the, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of one's life according to uh, living according to this wisdom. Well, the fear of the Lord is faith, and the object of faith is Jesus. So we don't have, we don't have faith in faith. It's not important that everyone has faith. It's important that everyone has Jesus, has the forgiveness that Jesus gives. And so the fear of the Lord is trust in God for his goodness, his righteousness, which is made available to us because of the death of Jesus on the cross. And that, Paul says, Christ crucified is a kind of wisdom that, that we cannot even comprehend. Um, it, is, it is a wisdom that confounds human logic. It's a stumbling block to Jews. It's folly to Gentiles. But Christ, the crucified, incarnate second person of the Trinity, the substitute uh, for all mankind, the one who received the punishment from the Father in our place, that is, that is a kind of wisdom beyond just this uh, wisdom of Christian living, um, but, but it is, that's, that's the wisdom of God that proves that his, his wisdom is always more reliable than, than our wisdom. His will is always more reliable than our will, and that's, that confirms all of what Solomon has been saying here at the beginning of, of chapter 16, the one who entrusts himself to the Lord, he will succeed. His plans will succeed. He will endure. He will be raised with Jesus on the last day. Pastor Jeff Hemmer is the pastor at Bethany Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, helping us this morning with Proverbs 15, verse 20 through chapter 16, verse 7. Pastor Hemmer, thanks for being our guest today. Pastor Apple, it's been a pleasure as always. Jesus is wisdom from the Father. Entrust your ways to him. In him you will be established now and forever in the resurrection of the dead. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.